Welcome to Great Minds, and our guest today is Ross Martin. Ross and I have crossed paths and know each other just a little bit, Ross. This is, I think, the first chance we've gotten a chance to really, really uh, go deep. Uh, but we've crossed through a lot of the same circles and mutual friends. You've been on our stage, and you were very kind in your remarks about Advertising Week before we got on the air. Ross is now the president of Known, which is a real contemporary take on the modern marketing world. And I love what you're doing there, that you've built something that's built for the world as it is versus something that's built for the world the way it once was. So I love that about what you're doing. And it's uh, really uh, great to have you here, Ross. So thank you. Matt, thanks so much for having me. I'm a big fan of your podcast. All right. So Ross, I want to start with you on an issue that touched us both, one that you were very involved with. And it was something we did on our stage, I'm going to guess four or five years ago, you know, you were involved, Carolyn was involved, Shelly, some others, uh, around the Gun Safety Alliance. And I'd love to start by talking about that project. I think you were a key driver of the whole thing, uh, a nonpartisan look at one of the great challenges that our country is still facing today. Uh, not a, a significant period of time goes by without a tragic gun-related incident in this country, often uh, in the hands of a young person who may not know that the gun that they're holding is real. Uh, so I'd love to talk about the Gun Safety Alliance and the origin of it and your involvement in that. Yeah, it's a great place to start. Thank you. Um, I, look, every year on your stage at Advertising Week, issues of great importance beyond marketing and advertising come to the fore. And for years now, gun safety has been one of them. And it's it's a, it's a great example of a pressing issue that faces all of us and an acknowledgement by leaders in our industry that maybe we could do something about it. Nobody gets up in the morning and thinks that a career in advertising on its own is just enough or at least I don't. I don't think you do. Uh, and so you want to try to do as much good as you possibly can while you have a chance. So the Gun Safety Alliance was founded years ago, started with Kristen Lemkow of J.P. Morgan Chase, who picked up the bat phone, as you do, and called leaders that she knew she could count on. Linda Boff was one of them. Carolyn Everson was another. Uh, myself, Stephen Wolf Pereira. And um, we joined forces and um, recruited other leaders uh, who could really add to the mission um, and, and, and try to find a way to inspire other business leaders to change their policy um, or to make a greater commitment to gun safety. And that really worked. And for me, it was an eye-opening experience because I got to see, Matt, the power not just of relationships, being able to call CEOs and CMOs that we know and ask them to be brave and make a change, but also the the power of marketing itself. The Gun Safety Alliance began a B2B brand campaign. Um, it was also consumer-facing, and it, it, it really shined a light on business leaders who we felt were on the right side of history here. Um, and I remember the moment that Dick's Sporting Goods changed their policy, and I have such deep respect for Ed Stack, the chairman, for Lauren, their CEO, for, for doing what they did. Because when, when Dick's Sporting Goods changed their policy on gun sales, 
um, it, it had a ripple effect in the industry across many categories, including airlines, um, other retailers, um, car dealers, uh, sort of shifting their policy on on gun safety, and that that has that has had a meaningful impact in our country, but not nearly enough. And so I feel like we're unfortunately not not where we need to be on this issue. And it's one that we all continue to work on together, and hopefully we can continue to have a greater impact. You brought a father, Manny, who lost his son in Parkland. Joaquin, yep. And, you know, the humanity, the pain of a father who lost a child, we're seeing it now every day unfold in America with this migrant crisis. And for a long time, Ross, I wasn't sure, is it really worse or is it just the amplification of what's happening that's worse? But it sure as heck seems like we've got a real big problem on our hands right now in major cities, New York, San Francisco, others, and lost in the conversation uh, is the humanity that these are people who are leaving a place where life is tough with the hope that life will be better somewhere else. Yes. And America was built by people like that. And I understand the complexities of you know cities and governments being overwhelmed and not able to pay for all the expenses that have dropped into their laps. But the humanity piece seems to get lost in the conversation, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. The condition in, in so many of our major cities is it's red alert. Um, and, and this is now front page every day. This is the, the top story in the news in many, if not most cities, because um, what, where does the responsibility lie? Right. And, and I think as business leaders, um, especially in the industry that I'm in, um, you bring an empathy to the job if you're successful. If you want, if you want to actually be successful at working with people, you better be an empathetic leader. Um, and so, my heart goes out to them. You look at the crisis here in New York. Um, you look at a different kind of a, a crisis unfolding in San Francisco, and it's hard to feel anything but helpless sometimes. Um, and and yet, as we saw. Uh, as we've seen time and time again in, in the marketing industry, we actually can have a very positive impact, especially when we work together. We are storytellers. We know how to make people think and feel something. Um, we can inspire action. And when we work together, uh, especially at, at this level with um, politicians, sometimes the government, uh, we can affect real change. And there are a lot of marketers working on this issue today, many behind the scenes, um, but giving their time and energy to try to really impact the or positively impact the migrant crisis in the United States for sure. You mentioned the power of storytelling and uh, uh, one of the great treasured New Yorkers who has really had his finger on the pulse for so long here is Spike Lee. All right. Yeah. I'd love to go back to your early tenure working for 40 Acres and a Mule. My first job. Yeah. Yeah. Way back when. And that must have been one hell of a Aberdeen proving ground, as they say. <laughs> Look, I was the only person who looked like me um, in that company, and I learned a lot. Uh, 
I think Spike is one of one. He's such a singular force of creative energy and has made some of my favorite movies of all time. And he's also really paved the way for so many filmmakers of color to, to get a chance, um, both inside and outside of the Hollywood system. And my job, my first job in this industry working for him was to help Spike find, support, empower filmmakers of color who were not getting a shot. Uh, and I learned how many of them there are and how brilliant they are. Uh, and so that, that you know, you can't be around someone like Spike Lee and not join that mission. Uh, and it was, it was fantastic to get to see the beginning of a career of, for example, the director Malcolm Lee. Um, I was there from the beginning when Malcolm was writing The Best Man, which went on to be one of the, the biggest franchises in film history. Uh, it's still going. I think he just made his last one, but he also he also just did um, uh, the he, he's making big Hollywood movies now. But none of that would have really happened if someone like Spike Lee didn't pull people up with him. And that's where I learned really what it means to sort of evolve your career and grow as a leader, but bring the next generation up with you. It's it's the most meaningful part of what we get to do. And that set you off uh, on a path uh, in film and television that, yeah. uh, and you became a founder at a relatively young age. Yeah. You know, what a great early career. It sounds like your twenties were pretty rip roaring. I mean, look, I don't, <laughs> sometimes I wake up Matt, and I go, what am I doing in this industry? How did I even get here? Cause I, I remember I went to graduate school for poetry. Uh, I published a book of poems in 2000. One, I was a poetry professor at three different universities, Washington University in St. Louis, the New School here in New York, and the Rhode Island School of Design in Providence. And so I never, ever thought I would get to do the kind of stuff I'm doing. And I definitely approach it from a slightly different angle than most of my peers. I, 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 I love that. Talk about where that creativity and that comes from. You know, were your parents creative people, Ross? Did you have a, a, a an influence that pushed you in that direction? We all end up somewhere for some reason. Um, I think the the prevailing really creative energy in my family has always been music. And we're doing so much today, actually, at Known with music um, and with artists. Um, but I was a drummer from an early age. And so rhythm and cadence and the idea of permutation, um, and, and, and just understanding that you could sort of feel a beat inside you and then, um, push that out into the world and people might care about it and feel something because of it. That that's where I came from as a drummer. And, um, and it's really informed, I think the way I speak, uh, it's the way I think, um, rhythmically, and and it's it's really been sort of a through line in my in my career that I don't really get to talk about that often. So thank you for asking. I feel um, much more like a businessman some days than I do a a creator, but uh, it feels good to talk talk about it for sure. I I love that. Uh, so we've got to talk about MTV and a long long run that you had through a number of iterations from you know, MTV to Viacom to Paramount. 13 years, and, yeah, 13 you know, years there. Yep. Uh, that's a hell of a run. And you were really there as SVP and head of programming for MTVU yep. and MTV yep. Networks in what was a, a real, people throw the word around, heyday around. That was a real heyday. I think, look, I, I and my colleagues from back then will tell you I never fit in. But I also think that 
MTV at that time and Viacom and now Paramount has always been a, a place for free radicals. Um, and so I think the people who really had the greatest experiences inside that world were the people who weren't just not afraid to break things, but like loved breaking things. And my whole career has been about using stuff in ways it wasn't originally intended to be used, if it were, as it were. So like, I, I, I was just someone who caused a lot of trouble, right? I, I Sometimes people looked at me and said, what the hell does he think he's doing? That's not his job. I was, an, I guess you would call it like an intrapreneur. So I, I really had like three or four bodies of work inside that company. My last one being probably the most challenging as the global head of marketing for a company that was really struggling through a, a few years of, um, I don't know, real, real challenges where you wake up every morning and you're reading your own obituary. And that's what it felt like as I was trying to sort of manage a portfolio of brands in 180 countries through a very uncertain uh, time and, and a period of transition. Now the company is is um, in great hands. I think Bob Backish is doing a great job. Um, I just learned so much from so many people in that 13-year year run. And I think I was most inspired by some of the interactions with like maybe Jay-Z um, and, and Jay-Z Jay-Z at the time was, but it's still true. I, when I think of him, I think of firsts. This is somebody who, who just never wants to do what somebody else did already and is never really sure if it's going to work and loves that, the chance that it, it may or may not, right? Like loves the the risk. And I, I think Jay-Z taught me to try, look for, look for opportunities to surprise myself with what I could achieve. And and that becomes really addictive, pretty fast. So I'm I'm not someone who does well sitting on my ass doing nothing. And the people who work with me are usually the same. That you're you're holding yourself to a standard that's higher than anybody could hold you to. Um, but also you're trying to surprise yourself with what you can achieve. And that's what I learned from him, and that's what I tried to do there. It, it's it's great to talk about it with you because I don't really ever get a chance to talk about those years anymore. But you're right. It was formative for me, but also for so many amazing leaders in our industry who came through the company at that time. I, I love that you use the word entrepreneur and and an outlier is another word, you know, that comes to mind, you know, about you, Ross, but you ended up leading sort of things that were ahead of their time in many ways, <laughs> going back now 15 some odd years to, you know, MTV 360, which yeah. at that time was really breaking new ground. I think the great the the real breakthrough moment for us while I was there in that period of time was called Scratch. It was it was first called MTV Scratch and then just Scratch because it was across the whole portfolio. And really the the, the really profound insight that people had at the time at inside what was then Viacom was that there was a bunch of stuff besides making TV shows and movies that we were really really good at as a company. But weren't things that you could necessarily buy from us as a service, right? So at the time, you could just buy inventory around TV shows and co-sponsor movies. But what 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 the company was really, really good at were things like design, um, recruiting and then inspiring top talent, especially young people, research and insights on consumers. These were things that were regarded as cost centers, and they were the things inside the company that made us successful 
um, in all the ways you thought we were successful, but they were never available to the outside world. So what Scratch did was sort of turn the company inside out. And it said, hey, if there's stuff that Comedy Central or Nickelodeon or BET or Paramount is good at, like finding awesome talent and empowering them to do their best work of their careers in, in HR or incredible design work that's ahead of its time. If there's stuff in here that we're like really good at, could we make that available to our clients in a consulting kind of way? And so the big breakthrough came with Dr. Pepper Snapple Group, where they said, what if we gave you a soda? What would you do with it? Could you use all the things that you do to make hit shows and hit and break talent? to break a soda. And we chose Sundrop, which was a massively underleveraged but beloved brand only in three states. And we took it national and we took a piece of the business. So we, we had a revenue share deal on a soda, which got us in all kinds of trouble with their competitors, as you can imagine. But nobody had ever really thought like that. And so I guess today you would call that an internal agency. Um, and there are many of them all over the place. Um, but at the time, there weren't there were no groups like that inside of a media company that were saying, hey, give us your product. Let us be your agency or in a very different way. The very large uh, New York Times front page deal that we did with General Motors. GM was coming uh, out of bankruptcy and came to what was then Viacom and said, hey, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you guys are really good at in here that we could use your help on to General Motors design research. Um, recruiting uh, and innovation. Could could we buy those services from you on a consulting basis? And would you open an office in Detroit inside our HQ and show us how to get better at these things? And it, it was one of these moments where you're like, like I said earlier, Matt, you're using the the power of, in this case, really popular television networks uh, in ways they weren't originally intended. I don't think anybody... Uh, in the beginning of MTV and Comedy Central and Nickelodeon thought that we'd be using what we were great at to make an, automato, uh, an, an automotive juggernaut m more successful. Um, but we were, and it worked. Uh, and it was one of those moments where you realize, wow, there's so much more that we can do with these brands and businesses than just make TV shows and sell advertising around. Yeah, and I think one of the measures, Ross, of success is, you know, what talent comes out of a company like that and the number of people who you worked for who worked for you uh and alongside you who have continued to thrive in this business you know is a great measure of success under you ross you know viacom paramount became a huge farm system of talent thank you yeah i i feel really grateful that i got to work with those people and be inspired by them and learn from them every day let's touch on something else you mentioned, which is oversight uh, in a global role, 180 some odd countries. Yeah. There are vast cultural differences from place to place. And, you know, Americans are guilty uh, across the board of having an American centric view of the world. You know, I was just talking to somebody about something in uh, the Middle East, North Africa, and they wanted to do something during Thanksgiving week. And I said, well, for us, that's a problem. But for the other 200 some odd countries around the world, it's fine. And, you know, we tend to view everything through the prism of America. Talk about your experience 
in other parts of the world, things that you saw that were different? Oh, so many things, Matt. I mean, you know, you're right. The, the, the real wake up for me was when the first time I judged Can Lion. Uh, and, and you're in a room and you walk in with your stupid American bias and you think you're just the shit. You know, you're like, I, I'm, I'm going to be one of the best creators in this room. I know what I'm talking about. I know what works. And, and, and you don't know anything. And you haven't even begun to understand what great creative looks like. And I remember that wake up. Someone I really admire, David Lubars in our industry, was the, um, the head of the jury that year. And I watched, I watched how he did it and, and the reverence that he had for the work that was coming out of Australia or India or um, uh, parts of Africa. And I'm like, oh, my God, I never even thought about doing something like that. And you're seeing this creative and it's blowing your mind and you know that it may never see the light of day in America. But that was the first moment I realized I, I haven't even begun my career. Like, I don't know anything. And I, I remember um, traveling the world as the global head of marketing for what is now Paramount and going from country to country and having my mind blown every time and just trying to find a way to remember everything and bring it back with me into everything that I was doing um, in the United States, which was the biggest market and still is. And I, 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 the cultural nuance, right? One example I had was I was with the team in Tokyo and we were going to pay a visit to a really important partner, Coca-Cola. And I came downstairs to meet the team at the hotel and get in the car to go to Coke. And I was just wearing, you know, kind of what I'm wearing now. And they looked at me like I was nuts. What are you wearing? And I'm like, what do you mean? What's wrong with that? Do I not look good enough? They're like, you're not wearing Coke red. I'm like, oh, right. And out of respect, you need to be. I had to go borrow like Coke red and put it on head to toe and walk in and show respect to the CMO of Coke in Japan. Uh, I, it's just not something that had ever occurred to me to think about before. And traveling the world and being in meetings like that, I, I learned to think so much more dimensionally or holistically about how to create the context for great partnerships, for great work, um, for, for progress. And, there are so many ways to think about that, that as American executives, most of the time, unless you've traveled abroad and worked internationally, never would occur to you. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and that's been a great joy of this whole Advertising Week journey is we've grown from New York to London and Tokyo and Mexico City and Sydney and, and most recently Johannesburg. And, and I think you always sort of get the same thing that I have, Ross, on instinct, which is you have to bend to culture. Culture doesn't bend to you. A hundred percent. Good luck thinking you're going to bend culture. That doesn't work. Yeah, it does not. So let's talk about something else that you've been involved with uh, that I really love, uh, which is Lunch Partners. Such a great initiative. Can we talk about that a little, Ross? Yeah, there are so many CMOs and CEOs um, who invest you know, on their own in, 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 in early stage businesses. I was one of them. Uh, I got lucky, uh, invested in Ron Ferris's company, which was called Virgin Mega, uh, which he sold a year and a half later to Nike and became the head of digital innovation for Nike, where he still works. Um, and 
you know, I got lucky on that first first investment. Um, and, and I started seeing, as many of my friends and peers in the industry did, um, deal flow, right? So you're seeing 10, 20, 30 opportunities to invest in early stage businesses just because of the circles you're in and what people think you're capable of and um, what you could add to the cap table. And so I was seeing these deals and realized really quickly that, yeah, sometimes I was making a good bet. A lot of times I was making the wrong bet. And that's because I didn't have enough information, not enough deal flow, so not enough pattern recognition. Also, no real ability to diligence any of the opportunities. And then when you're successful as an early stage investor, it means you bought a ticket to the next round. But if you don't have enough capital to deploy in service of that opportunity, then you've bought a, a ticket to nothing. So I realized that all of these constraints could be solved if I brought a, people, a group of people together who were in the same exact spot. So I went out to about 20 um, CEOs and CMOs who I deeply respect, who are all really fantastic people and great leaders and great marketers. And I said, are you seeing the same thing I'm seeing? And all of them said, yes, of course. And so we formed a group called Lunch Partners. It's called Lunch Partners because it's people you want to have, have lunch with, to be honest with you, good people that you can learn from and enjoy. Uh, and and um, also, a lot of people think that we're saying launch partners, which I encourage the mis the mishearing of that because we are trying very hard to launch uh, entrepreneurs and their businesses. And we got together and said, let's put our money together. Let's be a little bit less stupid with how we invest it. Let's share information and diligence deals together. Um, and then we'll have enough capital as a group to follow on with these investments when they're successful. We've invested over five years in 15 companies. Remarkably, knock on wood, they're all still going. Some of them are crushing it. I'm really excited about uh, Brightland Olive Oil. Aishwarya Ayer is a fantastic founder in California. Another California founder, uh, Kristen is the the CEO and founder of uh, Nomadical Wines, which is also crushing it, wine in a can. It's fantastic. You should try it. Um, and so you look at these businesses, Religion of Sports, which was founded by Tom Brady and Michael Strahan uh, and Gotham Chopra, making some of the best sports premium content in the world. Um, and, and we've been able to, as a group of business leaders and marketers, throw not just our capital, but our support and our networks behind early stage businesses and fantastic founders who are leveraging this network and our expertise to accelerate their growth. It's been a really great learning experience for me to lead this. Oh, 15 for 15, that's a pretty good percentage. So far, so far, we'll see what happens. They're going strong, it's great, it's fun to watch. So let's talk about Known, uh, the latest chapter, launched in uh, February of 2020. Uh, in the midst of a difficult time in the world. Uh, let's talk about what it was like launching Known. Give us the sort of origin story. And it's got to be a, for a guy who's used to being with people and running around and jumping on planes and jumping off planes. It's got to be a little bit of a challenge launching a business in the midst of uh, a global shutdown. We're really good at predicting a lot of things. There's a lot of science and technology going on here at Known. We did not predict a global pandemic, uh, the destruction of a global supply chain, uh, the the racial reckoning uh, and, and and justice movement in this country and others, um, and global economic uncertainty. We did not predict those things, Matt. You're right. Uh, known 
really represents the coming together of three different businesses. Two of them were more than 20 years old and my own, which was only two years old. So what happened was um, when, um, when I left Paramount, I started a company called Blackbird, brand strategy and business innovation. Um, got off to a hot start. Great. Two years in, loving doing that work. I love brand purpose and vision and belief systems. That's some of the stuff I love doing the most as a marketer. And I was enjoying it quite a bit. Um, but sometimes there's a generational opportunity, I guess once in a generation that comes to you and you, it looks you in the face and says, do you have the courage to go for it? And um, in this case, that was known. Um, it was uh, private equity supporting the acquisition of Blackbird by a much larger company, independent company called Shearson Associates, run by Kern Shearson. And Shearson Associates, 20 years old at the time, uh, research, um, data science and engineering company, super successful at a time where data science was really starting to get hot. Uh, and um, biggest clients, uh, Google, Amazon, Meta, et cetera, fantastic business. Um, and they acquired uh, Blackbird. And, um, and then we acquired uh, one of the largest independent creative agencies called Stun in Los Angeles, Stun, Stun Creative, run by uh, Mark Feldstein and Brad Roth. And we put these three companies together with the support of private equity in late 2019. And we did it because our shared clients were asking us to come and work together. And that's because the advertising industry, as you know better than anyone, has changed so much, even over just the last few years. And there has not been, there have not been um, enough meaningful alternatives to legacy models in this industry. And we believed we could create one. So there's some audacity there, um, but certainly um, a bunch of vision and courage and really great people um, combining um, in an Avengers-like way, I hope, uh, to form something far greater than the sum of its parts. And that was known. Um, and we launched publicly, we told everyone that we existed on what is now known as Known Day, February 5th. That was 2020. And as you said, Matt, just weeks later, we were all back home in our guest bedrooms doing, you know, <laughs> what we could on Zoom. So when we launched the company, we were about 170 people. Uh, that's not that's not a little company. Um, and we had a lot of clients. Today, we're over 400. We've more than doubled the size of the business. And that's because, of course, a lot of hard work, some good luck, some really great clients who believed in us from day one, and also just a radically different approach to how marketing could and should be done in the modern era. So we are not trying to be 5 or 10% better than the older agencies that we compete with, and we're not coming after the holding companies. We're just what comes after the holding companies. So, uh, you know, we're all used to, in all aspects of life, one thing reminds us of something else, right? We both have traveled a lot. And recently I was in Mumbai and my big takeaway was it was completely unique. I could not say anything about Mumbai that it reminded me of this or that. You know, Sydney, Sydney reminds me in some ways of London. You know, the harbor there, I think, is more beautiful than ours in New York, but it reminds me of the grandeur of New York Harbor. Mumbai didn't remind me of anything else. I thought it stood completely on its own. Known, in many respects, stands completely on its own. 
I I like to think so. That that makes it sound very lonely over here. I, I I don't think we are the only ones who see the opportunity in this industry. I certainly feel encouraged when I look left and right at some of the other agencies that we compete with, but that are also redefining the industry as we speak. And I, I have great admiration for other leaders in this industry. I think we're tackling some of the same challenges and um, we're doing it as aggressively and quickly as we can. Look, Matt, you know better than anyone because you, you put on what I consider to be the best best conference that we have in this industry because every every time you do it, you're tackling the real issues that matter um, and there's no fat I love what you do. So what I'm going to say, I think, is very familiar to you. This is an incredible industry. It is filled with some of the most brilliant people in the world. I mean that creatively. I mean that on the science and technology and strategy side, engineering. We have an incredible industry. And we do so much great work. And think about the joy that we get to have getting up in the morning and trying to make people feel something and maybe take an action. Nobody gets to do that. That's a gift. And yet, there's so much we have to do to make this industry better. It can be so much better. We can be so much more effective and efficient with media investments. We can be so much better when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and I'll include representation both in front of and behind the camera. We can do so much better at rebuilding the trust between consumers and brands, between brands and their agencies, between leadership and employees. There's so much that's broken that can be fixed to make our industry better. And that's really our goal here at Known. It's not just to win. Yes, we want to win, but we're trying to set a new standard for modern marketing and we're not the only ones going for it. Uh, a great, great story. And and what it sounds like is a lot of what you're doing now, that experience you had going all the way back to working with Spike Lee at 40 Acres and a Mule, it all sort of still very much bubbles to the surface. I think so. I mean, this is the most exciting time to be in an industry that relies on the marriage of art and science. And at our best at Known, um, and in our industry, th that's what we're doing. Think about the industry that we work in, and you, you you know this better than anyone. The pressure on chief marketing officers and chief executive officers is greater than ever before. And it's a pressure to outperform last year, to outperform the market, and to do so with often, in 2023, half the resources that they had last year. So that would be impossible to do. If, if you didn't have an operating system built to do it. Mm -hmm. So what we continue to find with our clients is that, you know, when we, when we're onboarded and, and we win a new client, um, they're, they're choosing known, whether it's for creative or strategy or media planning and buying and optimization or all of it, which many of our clients choose us for, they're choosing known because what our operating system is doing at scale is more predictive and more precise than they've ever seen. And, and that means you're using marketing and creativity and advertising to drive business outcomes. And you're doing it in a way that is accountable and attributable and visible. 
you can see what's working and what's not working. When Digiday called known an Iron Man suit of data and creativity, I, I, I cheered. I couldn't believe they said, because that's exactly what we're trying to be. And we've built an operating system that really does feel when you're inside it, like an Iron Man suit. And you're suddenly able to do the things that as marketers, we've read about for a long time, that you're supposed to be able to do these things in our industry, but somehow that vision is never really realized. Guess what? It is here. So we're not competing against other agencies as much as we're competing against the smoke and mirrors or the mistrust, all that stuff. And so when we get to do what we do, when we get to show clients what we can achieve and what we've done for the clients that we have, um, they understand why we're growing so quickly, why we've doubled the business in, in this time. And I'll just, I'll say one more thing about that Iron Man suit. It doesn't work without Tony Stark inside. You got to have Tony Stark and Tina Stark and Tyrone Stark, a lot of them. And we have 400 of them. So for the last 150 jobs that we've posted here at Known, we've had more than 150,000 applicants. So what we're seeing is we're able to capture the very top of the labor supply chain, which is critical. This is not just about science and technology and AI and natural language processing. It, it is not just about that. You have to have brilliant athletes who understand how to work together and who are passionate about reinventing the future of our industry for clients. And that's what we're able to do in here. Yeah, I, I love that story because it, it to me, it, it still all comes down to people. Totally. You know, who's wearing those suits? Uh, in this case, the Iron Man suit. You look at the on the people topic, right? And I know you cover this on stage sometimes. I, I, I've seen I've seen this topic come up at Advertising Week. Have you seen the rate of attrition in our industry? Yeah, it's it's more than a third. Yeah, it's more it's than a third, right? So when you're losing thirty three percent of your labor force every year, how do you possibly expect to be able to deliver at the highest level for world class clients who are counting on you to win? And one of the things I'm most proud of at Known is our unintended attrition rate is less than half of the industry standard. Meaning when you come here, it's hard to get in. I probably wouldn't be able to get a job here today. It Once you get in though, once you're in here, and many people don't even come from the advertising industry to get to Known, come from careers in academia or elsewhere. But when you come in and you get in here and you realize what you can do with this operating system, you realize, oh my God, I can do the best work of my career here. And so people stay because they're achieving things that, to our point earlier that we talked about, that surprise even themselves with what they can achieve. Um, and, and, that, and that's also why a third of our new hires are referred by people who already work here, who realize, oh God, I gotta get the best people in here with me. You gotta see what it's like in here. And so that's the most exciting part of this for me. And the other part is when we did a survey of knowners, that's what we call people who work here, we surveyed 400 knowners and said, you know, how, what's the one word you would use to describe our culture? And I thought it would be something like, you know, some of these people are brilliant or genius or maybe like the technology that we have at our fingertips that we built. But but the word that that by far and away was the biggest and most used, kind. Kind. And that's what I'm most proud of. I love that. I love that. And you've built that at a pretty interesting time in the world. You've grown more than doubled in size. Yeah. You've built a culture at a time when the world was separated, yeah. uh, you know, without so much dividing without, us. without option. 
Right. Without option geographically as well. Right. So we've never gotten this entire company together in one room. That to me is the biggest miss so far in three years of doing this at Known. The fact that I've never been able to get this entire company in one room. And, and now it's because we're just all over the world. Um, and so we're up opening offices in Europe. I mean, they got people, uh, you know, on a cruise ship filming right now. We opened a hotel in Madrid two weeks ago. You got people shooting all over the world. We're doing research in 80 countries right now as we speak. Um, and it, it's just now becoming impossible to get everyone together. And when you have the luxury of Zoom, you sort of fall back on it. But I do miss it, Matt. Like the idea of being together in person. We just returned to office. People are here. The energy that you get uh, and you can feel in, in our spaces, um, in our New York office, in our LA office, um, in Austin, in Boston, in Madrid, th there's nothing like it. So that's the that's the great the great hope that you can somehow make it through these last few years, which have been so difficult for every business and find a way to build an intentional culture by relying on your belief system, by relying on your values, uh, and by working together in service of a common mission and vision, which is what we're doing here at Known. Well, that was just a great, great story. And uh, I love this conversation. Thank you so much for doing this, Ross. This was really uh, an awful lot of fun. Listen, I gotta thank you because the conversations you're having here with people that I admire greatly um, are inspiring and, um, and necessary. And you have been doing this your whole career. I'm really, really grateful to be a part of it. Thanks, man. I'll see you soon.